0: How about we give you a bonus episode today? We uh, just came up on a story that we thought was worth sharing that is, you know, kind of incredibly not getting any media attention. And I didn't even hear about it until recently. It's a scandal at a church um, with a lot of really interesting twists and turns that are stimulating to the mind and, and make, should make you think and evaluate how th- social and power dynamics work. So we have a friend of ours, Stephanie Tate, a new friend of ours uh, who is an author and everything else who has pretty good insight on this and has been covering it a little bit on Twitter. We thought we'd come on and have a conversation with her today, so we'll get to that just in a second. and She'll join us. But I also would like to take the opportunity to let you know you can join the BC Club right now for free, free month, free trial. We announced that earlier this week and we just want more people to get see what the experience is like on the inside and decide for yourself if you would get a lot out of the digital community that we've created and uh, it, it seems like it's the kind of thing that's hard to explain until you see it and then people seem to like it. So if you've been on the fence at all, I would say now just an easy time. You don't have to put in credit card information or anything. You just follow the link in the description there and uh, you'll go to the page and put in your email address. That's it. And you can join us for a little bit and you know contribute to our community, see what it's like. And if you decide to stay, you'll get a real nice glass that we all get, that we all drink out of, and you could have the satisfaction of knowing you contribute just a couple of bucks to Toby and I um, for doing the podcast. If you appreciate it or value the community, that's thebcclub.com or follow the link in the show description. Okay. see if Stephanie's joining us here. Stephanie's joined us. Woo. You can see us in here, so that's great. Oh, you got oh. A, a vocal recording booth there, I guess.
1: I have a bunch of mattress toppers <laughs> I glued onto some foam board. It kind of looks cool,
2: actually. <laughs> I like it. it. looks kind of neat.
1: It's about 112 degrees in here, but it, yeah, it
0: works. <laughs> Are you doing a lot of podcasts this day and age or just a lot of Zooms uh, or what?
1: So the last year has definitely, yeah, I did predominantly a digital book tour, mm-hmm. both because with being disabled, travel is really hard. Uh, but also just because publishers don't actually give you any money to actually do book tours. (laughs) So it just made more sense to do a lot of podcast interviews and it was taking me like 45 minutes to tack up all of the moving blankets and pillows and things around my workspace. So I just built the booth.
0: I've the, uh, you, we've been in the music industry that has, you know, been completely pathetic and budgets have been evaporating for a decade or so, but I I've heard, uh, you know, that the, the book industry obviously is doing the same thing, but slower. It's, you know, when there was a period where book deals were so good compared to record deals. But now I keep hearing that the book deals and the budgets and the, all that stuff is getting worse, With the especially now with nobody even going out to buy physical books. You
1: caught me right as I'm working on my taxes. So mm-hmm. I can tell you conclusively that I have made exactly zero dollars um, <laughs> from this work. Yeah. In fact, according to the IRS... Uh, I have lost a significant amount of money doing this work, and uh, that will help offset my other income, apparently. So that's great. <sighs> yeah,
0: that's the other thing about books is I've always thought of them as like, uh, what a bad deal to get because then it's just a bunch of homework. And it seems like the hardest type of work that people do to, you know, it's I know it's good. It's got to be good for you to to focus on writing and revise and reflect on what you wrote and do the draft again and then get brutal feedback. But that's the part of book deals that always has made me be just like, oh gosh, that sounds like a disaster.
1: So if the money's going to evaporate too,
0: then what's the point?
1: Like most people don't know that your advance literally means advance on your salary, right? Mm -hmm. So the money they give you up front sounds like a great deal. And you're like, cool. They wrote me a check for, you know, X grand. Awesome. And then you find out that that's literally a... This is the money that we're giving you up front on your possible royalties. And so you have to earn that money back out before you make a cent from your book.
0: Yeah. For a lot
1: of authors, the dirty secret is you never do.
0: And you (laughs) have to have all this obligation to do for the next couple of years. And the money's you've already spent the money in the first couple of weeks. When you break
1: it (laughs) down, you're like, they gave me basically 10 grand for three years of work. Um, Yeah.
2: Right. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Rethinking that's almost that now yeah. like,
2: <laughs> I know that that's almost worse than uh because uh, Matt and I are in a band or uh, the being in a getting a record label deal because you do have to you get that advance and then you have to pay that back but at least we are going on tour we're getting on tours like the the book is your main way of making the income yeah. like I, I mean you I mean you I know you get some speaking gigs and stuff like that but at the same time it, like it, it's hard to go on a speaking tour. As much as a band would. So the money probably definitely didn't work out.
1: There's the double whammy of I wrote a book that fit predominantly in a lot of very Christian spaces. Um, It was too Jesus-y for a lot of my non-religious friends. And yet my work is very much too liberal for a lot of those Christian spaces. Mm -hmm. So I had multiple podcasts that my publisher reached out to and tried to get me on. Um, Like two of them sent me a statement of faith and basically said, can you sign this? And if you can't, you can't be on the show. Oh, yeah. Oh, like traditional no marriage way. is in there, like straight mm-hmm. up, like complementarianism was in there. And it was like, wait, why are you asking me to come on and preach if you're asking me to sign a document that says that women shouldn't preach? Okay.
3: wow.
1: So I already sort of excluded myself from a lot of potential spaces to sell. And then to follow it up, there was this little thing called a global pandemic. <laughs>
3: so
1: <laughs> My speaking engagement income is looking great
3: right
1: now right basically I just made like the world's worst career choice at possibly the worst time in history to choose to do this so I'm very rich and I'm loving it
2: Yeah, that's 2020, funny. 2026 is going to be great for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. This Tears is all open. investment in the future. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so, Stephanie, I've just become acquainted with you and some of your work recently, and I'm not all the way caught up yet. So, I was wanting to get to know you a little bit here and then talk about the thing I wanted to talk about. But what is the name of your book, by the way? You go, We already mentioned a couple of times. It's so, go ahead and say It's called
1: that. The View from Rock Bottom.
0: Okay. And it's basically about
1: like. Essentially, uh, the point of the book was twofold. One, I felt like a lot of white evangelicalism is really quick to denounce the prosperity gospel, like, ooh, Joel Osteen, bad, pastors with private planes, ooh, we don't like that. But in reality, a majority of white evangelical thinking is all prosperity gospel all the way down. If you do the right things, if you behave the right way, if you make the right choices in your life... You may not be rich, but you're definitely guaranteed like a baseline quality of life.
0: And that's everything Bitch, from right. your marriage, your relationships, your mental oh, yeah. health. It's not just dollars. It's easy to make fun of, you know, Joel Osteen. But yes. Yeah.
1: And so for me, it was less about wealth and more about health. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a disabled person, I had been led to believe my life was going to go a certain way. And then I got very sick with no explanation for years. And my life pretty much fell apart. And I had been left with a faith that did not give me the tools to cope with that. Mm -hmm. And so the book is both trying to point out, hey, y'all really believe the prosperity gospel a lot more than you think you do. And if you can't recognize that root, you're not going to be able to deal with it. And two, what does a healthier, more robust theology of suffering look like? How can we be a people that know how to deal with things like suffering and grief and the fact that hard stuff happens to good people. Mm-hmm. I never mm-hmm. really was given the tools by the faith of my youth to deal with any of that, other than like just put on a smiley face, be positive, encouraging K-love all the time. Like, God has a plan for this. It's going to be great. Just watch. And that just sort of leaves you stranded, right? With no real lifeboat when that miracle doesn't come, <laughs> when you sit for years and wait and you make all the right choices and things just get worse then what? Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of mix of both sort of exploring what scripture really says and quite a bit of memoir sort of woven throughout to try to contextualize what the heck I'm talking about and who gave me the authority to write any of this in the first place.
0: Well, that's excellent, and I want to talk more about your personal story and that kind of thing in a little bit, and I want to get into the topic that we wanted to discuss today, but I found you through Dan Koch, and you were on his podcast on You Have Permission, and is did he tell me, right, that you went to high school with Dan? You've known him a long time?
1: I actually went to his elementary school too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you gotta tell us about his, elementary his school mom, Dan then. Let's take some his, time for that. Yeah. If you his can make mom fun of Dan was
1: like, She taught our choir at our little Christian elementary school. <laughs>
0: oh wow. Yeah. He so never t- told us. That. Tell us about little Dan. What was he like? What's the same and what's different?
1: Dan <laughs> and I were in slightly different grades, but Dan was actually really good friends with my older brother. I have a really funny Dan story actually. Uh, anytime his name comes up at our house, in fact, I told my mom when I was going to go on his show, I was like, hey, remember Dan Coke?" And she was like, oh, my gosh, the spoiled milk guy. Um, <laughs> Dan came over to our house once and uh, was very comfortable in our kitchen <laughs> and helped himself to some milk out of our no. fridge directly out of the milk. And that milk had spoiled. And so Dan had, like, chunky milk, basically, in his mouth, on his facial hair, like, had spit it out in the sink. And it was the funniest thing i had ever seen. And so, literally, I was like, hey, do you remember Dan? He has a podcast. I'm going on a show. And she's like, the spoiled milk guy.
0: That's (laughs) really good. That is a quality of Dan's that I like the best. Uh, One of my favorite qualities about Dan is his... It's like that help himself mentality that he has. It's not that rude or any. I don't find it rude. I find it comforting to know that you're seeing Dan is comfortable. He's saying what he wants. He's thinking out right. loud. You know who what's there. There's not much hidden with Dan. If he wants some milk, he'll either ask for it or get it. <laughs> I like that. I like that about him a lot. I do, too. He's a
1: really great guy.
0: <laughs> well, I recommend that episode with you, Uh, On his podcast, you have permission Our listeners are are quite familiar with it Um, And obviously we're already rolling When you join the call and everything here So this will just be a self-contained Casual chat But I was uh, I used to follow more evangelical Scandals and things like that and Be more interested in it Especially coming after Mars Hill I was really sensitive to it I don't know if you know that or not, but Toby and I were both involved at Mars Hill. Toby was on staff, and uh, I was a volunteer in there for probably 10 years. And um, so I've always had an eye for those types of power abuses, mainly because it was, I couldn't believe the effect afterwards of when people would say, I'd say, well, you know, the Mars Hill and the abuse and the bad things that happened there, and people say, well, what are you talking about? I'd say, well, you know, it was a, they, they, the, the attitude was always, well, who did he have sex with or, or hurt physically? Mm-hmm. and i'd say well that that's not all there can be right and they're like well then what's the problem what is it there must be nothing or there's two sides and and that mentality's just driven me crazy indefinitely um especially the two-sidedism and mm-hmm. the 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 ease with which people slide into that when they have a favorable view or just want to avoid dissonance in their own mind how f- favorable people can be uncritical is just the benefit of the doubt culture is something we've talked about on this show for the whole time and it I don't mean to say, I'm an optimistic person, but given the benefit of the doubt to large systems and power and institutions, it just can't be the right idea. And Mm -hmm. so I ran across this, uh, it was just through your Twitter that I saw you talking about the Ortberg and Menlo, is it the Menlo Park Church? What's it called, the name of the church?
1: They go by Menlo Church now.
0: Menlo Church. So John Ortberg is the pastor of there, and they had been through a scandal that I even missed in February and didn't even catch till this recent part of it. Had gone by. Uh, I told Toby and Reva yesterday, and they didn't know either. And if we don't know about mm-hmm. it, I don't think anybody knows about it. And I thought I thought that was kind of outrageous, just that fact alone. So I felt like it'd be much better to hear it from you. That I'm just getting caught up on it anyway. So could you explain this particular uh, mega church slash I don't know what kind of scandal, or I don't even know what you know. I don't know even how to begin to talk about it. But I would be more comfortable hearing the hearing the details from you, what you know.
1: So I will be up front and say I do not attend Menlo Church anymore. Uh, I did a little while uh, in high school back in the day when I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area, mostly because my high school boyfriend went there. So, of course, I had to follow him over there. (laughs) Um, So what I know, I know both because it's public and because I'm friends with a lot of the players. And I want to say up front that I actually reached out to Danny and Grace before I came on the show because I wanted to make sure I wasn't stepping somewhere that, you know, I'm just speaking from the sidelines. And who's
0: Danny and Grace?
1: So Danny Lavery is John Ortberg's son and Grace is his wife. And what happened was back uh, earlier this year, Danny came out on Twitter and basically told people about about something that had been going on behind the scenes privately at Menlo that he felt like needed to be more public because they simply weren't addressing it internally. Um, And Danny took a lot of steps to make sure that all throughout the way, like he approached people privately, he gave them a chance to work this out. And when they wouldn't, He took more and more things public as this process has progressed. So, essentially, earlier this year, what came out was John Ortberg, uh, his father, who is the pastor at Menlo.
0: How big of a church is is this church? Yeah, Yeah. same question. So So,
1: for For the San Francisco Bay Area, it's considered pretty huge. I think they have somewhere between four and six thousand people on multiple different campuses. Now, nationwide, that may not sound like a mega church, but for the Bay Area, that's enormous. There's so many churches there, so that's huge.
0: And he's a real—I mean, he's—he's written books and is popular in conservative circles. This is a pastor that every pastor knows. I mean, he's in the same conversation as. I
1: live in Oregon now, and my former church did a teaching video series of his. Like, Mm -hmm. put him up on the screen, and I'm like, oh, I know know that guy. Several years. (laughs) And more than that. Their church has a lot of really uh, highly influential members. Like Condoleezza Rice goes to church there. For <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They are not wow. just a tiny group of you know people in California. They are pretty significantly influential and very affluent. Menlo Park is far and away one of the most expensive zip codes that you can live in oh, no all doubt. of the San Francisco Facebook's Area. Facebook's
2: in Menlo
0: Park, right? Uh,
1: yeah, kind of in that area. Menlo Park, Palo Alto, right there on the border. Um, so what came out earlier this year was that Apparently at some point previous, John Ortberg, who is the pastor there, the lead pastor, had had what was at that time identified as a volunteer who came forward and expressed to him that that volunteer had a sexual attraction to children.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And that volunteer had been working in their children's ministry with children. Mm -hmm. And so they confessed this to John Ortberg, who apparently, the, the info in the beginning was had discussed it with that person, had decided that they believed that that person had never offended, had never actually touched anybody, was never going to, and chose to allow that person to continue working with children and did not report it to the church.
2: Mm -hmm. John, the the head pastor did not report this to the the leadership team. No. Wow.
1: So what happens is many months later—
0: so, even at that point, we're t- it's th- there th- but there had been no reports of any abuse no. that anybody knew about, at least, nope. but he didn't also did not investigate to find out if that were true or not.
1: No. he took the volunteer's word on it, okay. and decided that was good enough for him. okay. And they trusted this volunteer, and n- nothing happened,
2: and they let the volunteer continue to volunteer, yes, Oh, okay.
1: So eventually, many months later, this volunteer apparently also discloses this sexual attraction to John Ortberg's son, Danny. And Danny finds out and is appalled and immediately goes to his father and tries to find out, is this true? What's going on? And his father justifies to him that this person hasn't offended, that they trust this person, and basically says, this person's whole life is working with children. And if you take that away from them, I mean, they're just going to be devastated. I'm worried they might even commit suicide and you don't want that on yourself. So you need to walk away and leave this alone and have it under control. Just
2: guilting somebody. Completely
1: gaslighting, very manipulative.
2: That's so ridiculous.
1: Danny is incredibly brave and Danny does the right thing. And Danny immediately writes a letter to the church board and exposes all of this and says, this is what's going on, lays out all the facts. You need to look into this. And the next day, John Ortberg goes on an unspecified leave at the church. The congregation is not told what the leave is. All they're told is that he's stepping back on a non-illness leave and that that's all they know in the beginning. And so during this time, the board apparently decides to conduct an investigation. And so all we know is that they hired what they are calling an independent investigator. But Danny and Grace have laid out a lot of information on Twitter that you can go follow. There's also a woman named Ruth Hutchins, who is a parishioner at Menlo, that has put together a blog. If you search for ruthhutchins.com, there is like a really amazing blog post where she's put all of this in chronological order for people that are having a tough time following everything. And so what's come out since is that the person they hired essentially... Works for the church, okay. Mm-hmm. So not a truly independent investigation. Their job is to protect their employer, and so right. they're not here for the victims. They're here to make sure that the church isn't liable. Essentially, right.
0: That's the where the incentives are ultimately, mm-hmm. spoken or not, or explicit or not. We that's that's the type of thing you have to understand. <laughs> you know, the, everything you've ever seen in a mob movie or a Quentin Tarantino movie, the way people talk, it's never explicit. You know, the quid pro quo of the thing or whatever it is. But obviously, there's a best case for everybody here involved in this scenario that is understood or felt, you know, or encouraged in whatever way. Yeah.
1: So what happens is they essentially do this little mini investigation. It only takes a couple of weeks, so it can't be that thorough of an investigation. And they decide you know what? Nothing has happened at our church. Nobody's been touched. This, this person hasn't offended. And to our knowledge, now they no longer work with kids now that this has been brought to our attention, at least not at Menlo. And we've talked to John and he understands that he made a mistake. And so they basically go to the church and, and give them the broadest strokes of what happened. And essentially the version they give to the church sounds like there was a volunteer They approached him this one time and disclosed, and whoopsies, he didn't file like the proper paperwork with the church, and it just sort of got lost in the shuffle of the day-to-day. His bad, uh, but it's all dealt with and everything's fine. Don't worry about it. And he's under now what they call the restoration plan right. where he's, you know, only accountable to them internally. And he's been forgiven and it's all worked out. And he goes back to preaching.
0: And that probably makes it seem at that point like, and that's how we know our particular church is really above reproach. Because even we had this minor issue where nothing happened we and look how well we handled it.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. And at the same time, there's this added issue of the church board member that's in discussion with Danny makes it very clear to the church in their like town hall Q&A thing that the real problem here the real problem is that Danny and his wife Grace are trans. And so they don't have according to John or the church the moral authority to speak on pedophilia because oh wow. They're essentially equating the two as equally and they're basically play this as Danny is lashing out against his dad so you can't really trust the source on this and we're really not going to play into what is clearly just a family dispute from someone who's mad at his dad. Mm-hmm. And that's oh. what they hope is the end of it.
0: So that that that's a... <sighs> So you have to say if you're just a church member or general public, you go that he Danny and John Ortberg are estranged and mm-hmm. they have bad blood or something. I don't know if that's public or if they do. or I don't know that that. But well, it, what's it interesting
1: is they played to the narrative.
0: This. It would seem like that would Danny and Grace yeah. were
1: not estranged from the Ortbergs until this happened. This mm-hmm. is actually the reason that they became estranged, but the church conveniently sort of omits that detail and really tries to play it off like, oh, this is an internal family feud, leave it alone. Instead of looking at it as this is somebody who was so appalled by finding this out and so appalled that their dad would continue to support this, that it actually destroyed like their family connection and they were willing to walk away to stand up for what's right here. Mm -hmm. So the reason this is in the news again is because after Menlo essentially buried it and said, it's all good, we worked it out, everything's fine. And that was February? Yes. Okay. Danny came forward again recently and said, look, I have done everything I can to get people to actually deal with this, but since they won't, I don't really have any choice but to reveal more information because we need public accountability here. Mm -hmm. The problem is it turns out that that volunteer was not just a one-off volunteer that casually approached John Ortberg one time. That volunteer is Danny's brother, Johnny. Yeah. It's John's son what? who is the volunteer.
0: Yeah. That's the, that's the big what? whopper <laughs> of the story right there.
1: So it all comes out that it's not just a one-time disclosure. This is something that they have known for well over a year. And the family is so aware of it. That it comes out that they had actually made a policy that Johnny was not to be left alone with, uh, Danny has a sister named Laura. Laura, She's Laura Ortberg-Turner. She has a son, and the family had made it very clear that Johnny was never to be left alone with Laura's son. So they're all aware of what's going on. And yet at the same time, they're completely enabling him to continue to work with children because they feel like this is therapeutic for him. Mm-hmm. That as long as he's doing it in a righteous context, that that's going to help him fulfill his urge to be around children without hurting anybody. Which is, of course, not how pedophilia works. And that's right. not safe or fair to any of the parents at Menlo who did not get to give their consent
3: right.
0: to this or has unlicensed therapy. Yeah, to be part of the rehab program or therapeutic program for a pedophile.
1: So when this all came out, Laura basically got on Twitter and said, I'm not really going to say anything other than what Danny is saying is an exaggeration. It's full of half-truths. It's not true. And, you know, I wish I could talk to him, but he's estranged now. So, oh, well, I wish this would all go away. It was very much played off as like, this is an internal family dispute. You guys can't possibly understand the actual story or the details, and I'm going to leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Uh, She has since deleted her entire Twitter and gone silent as has the entire Ortberg family, as has Menlo Church. There has been not one public response to any of this since the initial story broke back in, you know, early this year.
0: Well, how does Complete the congregation silence? take that?
1: That's a great question. So I reached out to a few people I know that either still will attend or used to attend. And right now, there really isn't any general consensus on what's going on. It's radio silence. There are some people who have decided... They are concerned and they want answers, but there's not been like a mass exodus. There hasn't been an uprising of people demanding that he be unseated from the pulpit. They've taken this very affluent WASP approach of like, well, let's wait to get all the, you know, the details and Mm -hmm. let's not jump to conclusions and, you know, let's not be led astray by whatever outside forces might have nefarious motives. Like, let's just wait and give him a chance and see how this all unfolds. Um, So my concern at this point is, is that it's quite possible that if this story continues to fly too far under the radar, that he may actually get away with exactly that. He may be able to sort of ride this out until people's outrage is quelled and until the worst of it passes and then do exactly what he did earlier this year and just kind of slide back into the pulpit on, you know, restoration plan and pretend it never happened.
0: Where's the Christian media here? That's what I don't get at all. I mean, they're they're. I don't even think the Christian media is that bad at covering scandals. I think they do it pretty well, given the incentive of outrage culture, even on them. You know, they cover they cover stuff. Re- Christianity Day or I don't even know who it is, but I mean, even the big Christian publications seems like they cover Willow Creek and whatever else it is that's going on when there's problems. Well,
1: and isn't that the interesting thing that? John and Nancy were very publicly involved in the Willow Creek debacle. They were very publicly out there calling out Bill Hybels, calling out that culture and saying, hey, we need to believe these women, we need to listen to their stories, we need to dismantle this kind of oppression in the church, you know, hashtag me too church too. Nancy was seen as a hero in the survivor community. And now this all comes out and it's been alarming to see how many of the same voices that have been vocally out there talking about misogyny in the church and the abuse of women in the church in the last year that are just completely silent on this one. Mm -hmm. And one of the only explanations I can come to right now is that people are really unwilling to give even the appearance that they are siding with two trans people you think over that's it? a conservative Christian press. I honest to God have not found a single other explanation for why, uh, you know, there are, there are media personalities in Christian media. Like uh, there's a woman named Julie Royce and she literally just writes about church abuse, basically complete radio silence on this. She wrote a quick blip about it back in February. Uh, and that was it. She hasn't said a word since, But what's interesting is when she wrote the original article earlier this year she not only made a point of pointing out that Danny was trans, which at the time had literally nothing to do with the story at hand uh, and included his dead name and the whole deal. But she refused to use his pronouns in the entire article. Wow. And when called on it, she wrote a follow-up article basically saying, here's why I have a biblical case for not acknowledging those pronouns and nobody else should either. And like she's made it very clear where she stands on the issue. What and now, now that thing. the rest of this comes out, she's completely silent.
0: So, so it's sticky to, to, so the uh, trans thing makes it so sticky that people don't want to touch it is what is maybe part of the I deal think it's here.
1: definitely a component. Yeah. And what's confusing in all of that is, of course, we have had to sit through years of evangelical churches telling us trans people are dangerous because they're essentially going to assault you in you know a dressing room or a women's bathroom. Yeah, they're pedophiles, they're pedophiles or yeah, right, that are yeah. grooming your kids. And now when it's an actual pedophile, complete silence. Yeah. This was never about actually protecting the kids. This was about using right. that as a smokescreen to judge trans people.
2: This is this is mind blowing because this is a a such a clear example of two people who are trans, but two people who are actually trying to protect children. Yep. They saw something really dangerous. Why would you put that person in that situation? And that person and and I wanted to uh, clarify. I might have misunderstood. You said that uh, David Lavery is that his name? It's Danny.
1: Daniel. Danny. I'm sorry. Yeah. Daniel.
2: he, his brother had a tr- sexual attraction to him.
1: No, his he disclosed uh, it to him that he's the one that oh. has sexual attraction to children. And
0: there to was some children. real okay, details about yes, that was, that that where he was very confirming that it was all of it was tied up with sexuality itself. Yes. Like it's not just I like kids a lot and have a weird feeling. It was he was very cl- seemed to be very clear to Danny that is completely a sexual thing.
1: Well, and I think it's worth bringing up before I forget that. One of the biggest disclosures in all of this that keeps sort of getting pushed under is the whole reason that Johnny felt the need to disclose this information to his parents in the first place was at the time his computer had been stolen. Oh, And gosh. Johnny goes to the Ortbergs frantic oh. saying, I feel like I'm going to be exposed. You need to know this thing about me. And so as Danny and Grace have been really good about pointing out, explain what could possibly be on that computer that could have exposed right. him right so th- as much as the Orpberg's want to point to nobody's been touched there's not been a crime here you know you can't punish people for their thoughts this is a perma- you know a private family matter leave it alone the fact of the matter is if there's something on that computer that would have exposed him that is a crime and not a victimless crime either like no, that yeah. is abuse that counts
2: right right
0: yeah there could be anything i mean the whole this territory it's just it's almost it's, it's shocking on like almost every possible level and counterintuitive and everything, and it, and it's just the it's so bizarre that we're in a crazy time where things are so crazy. That this could possibly be overlooked. Just makes no sense to me. That's what I'm saying. If if I don't know about it, and Toby doesn't know about it. I mean, who does? I mean, on it, the
1: one it hand, it feels shocking, and yet, like, there's this weird tension for me because as a survivor myself, uh, it's not entirely shocking to me either. As much as there's been great movement in the last couple years in this Me Too Church to movement, there's also been an undercurrent that survivors have complained about for a while in that the church really only wants to talk about a certain type of survivor. Uh, you know, like uh, the Southern Baptist Convention did this whole caring well convention, right? Like we're going to talk about abuse because we've been so exposed, but they were very specific about who they were willing to consider a spokesperson for survivors, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't want queer survivors. They didn't want people that had actually left the church or left their faith. They wanted like the virtuous woman who was, you know, a quote unquote real victim who hadn't, you know, participated or consented in any way. They don't, tend to like the stories of people who are coerced. They tend to like more of the, I actually had no say and I was attacked sort of a story. They want very clear black and whites, the bad right. evil guy and the virtuous woman who can't defend herself. And everyone else is sort of pushed to the side. And so as much as they're saying like, we want to hear survivor stories, believe women center these narratives, it hasn't actually been true, so I'm not entirely surprised that this is one that they don't really want to touch because it's complex. Mm-hmm. It's more nuanced than this guy did a bad thing and attacked a kid, so they don't really know what to do with it
0: I, I'm not so sure how I mean, of course on the I mean I th- the wildest thing is to think of a congregation members standing by them that have children or something like when when you get to that territory, it seems like the congregation there has to be even in a conservative. Whatever their theology is, I still can't imagine that forty to sixty percent of people don't have, that are in the congregation don't have great concerns if they're informed. I don't, which I don't know if they are or not. But even the, there's no conservative church I've ever been in or part of that wouldn't have real issues. Even for, I can't imagine them all wanting to circle the wagons and protect that.
1: I think there's like conflicting complexities here, right? Like, I'm sure there are parents that have deep concerns. I'm sure there are a lot of parents who are replaying things in their minds, realizing this could have gone very badly for my kid.
0: But that's traumatic. Like, that, I'm not so sure that That I'm... not in
1: and of itself is trauma.
0: Of course. I mean, if I had to replay... I mean, I've been in situations where I had to replay a long history with somebody to think about it. And that's... Oh, I mean, it's a lot of growth comes from it, perhaps. But that's... A hard enough thing to do Is to go, wait a minute Now this new information I've got to rethink everything As it pertains to when I was involved here With this or that person Or some relationship that wasn't right uh, But I'm not sure That somebody who Follow me on this I'm not sure That if somebody is sexually attracted to children Says working with children Is their life And is very much t- tied up to sexuality And they might kill themselves If they didn't get to do that I'm not sure that just because he didn't touch them, I consider that not abusive to children.
1: A hundred percent. I mean that, that to me, I'm still agree.
0: thinking that's a still. Right. I'm not saying well, it's, not, it's inappropriate, but at least nothing bad happened. I'm saying that's already like he's having intimate react relationships with children at all times that aren't sexual. Right. Okay, but if there's if you can have a affair, uh, emotional affair on your spouse. Then Correct. what? What's the implications of that here with the intimacy with the children with this guy? Who it's a different thing to him. That you know that sits with me in a very, very bad way. That the intimacy wasn't what they thought it was. Which is the worst thing about child abuse is the the asymmetry and the ability to understand the right. gratifications and stuff like that. That's yeah, already even if he's flawed. Ever
1: touched any of these exactly. Kids. Having a romantic relationship in any way with a child is still abusive. Which he even of if course you don't did. Don't have a sexual, right. relationship. Yes. yeah.
0: So I'm suggesting there's no situation like, let's say I'm super attracted to uh, whatever underage girls. You know, you know, you could see me interacting with them without touching them and think, what a fucking creep that's har- harming them. Like, obviously, you don't have to touch somebody to harm them. And and you're like, what? It was just in my mind. I mean, what? And also, how likely is it that I could have an attraction to underage girls and never even go there in my mind? Because I also care about their development. That's absurd.
1: Well, and it's amusing to me in a way, in the worst way, because growing up in purity culture, this is exactly what they taught us, right? Like, it doesn't matter if you actually follow through, even just having these thoughts right. sinful and wrong. If you look at a woman in lust, you've already slept with her, uh, you know, your thought life <laughs> yeah, is your action life. And now all of a sudden it's, well, he didn't touch any kids. So this seems like a private family matter.
0: Yeah. We'll just let them handle it then.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: So the other part of it, this disturbing, is that churches need t- to have. It's it's it reminds you of the gay conversion therapy or something where it's like to to admit that you have attraction to children, but you're going to stand firm for God. It makes you some kind of you're being the brave one, and well, the the trans brothers out clear, there being decadent.
1: <laughs> the folks <Orc laughs> you know? have actually said that about Johnny, that he's crazy. essentially they have. They have justified this to multiple friends in their family circle as that Johnny is heroic, that Johnny is doing great, brave thing because he's loving on these kids. And that essentially they espouse this, this methodology called the virtuous pedophile in which, you know, he's taking these ill, inappropriate urges and he's finding a way to channel them into something good like he wants to nurture children because of his deep love for children which again is not how pedophilia works first of all this is like saying like you know i i take my friend who's addicted to heroin and you know he only uses pot because you know that's gonna help fill you don't do that you don't give people even stepped uh, exposure to the thing they're addicted to—that's not how this works. But more than that, there are real children involved here. Like you said, even if this was therapeutic for him, even if I believed that on face value, that right. doesn't give you the right to use these children and their families without their knowing or consent for your therapy. Right. Like your church, as the pastor, is not your personal playground to send parishioners, let alone your own kid, but any parishioner in there to like manipulate these people around as therapeutic tools to treat somebody. And more than that, you are a pastor. You are not their psychologist. You are not a therapist. You are not a clinician. You are their pastor. And so to try to prescribe a therapeutic cure to a pedophile is a completely inappropriate role for you as a pastor anyways
0: if you were a licensed therapist and exactly that it would still be inappropriate for you to do it with your own child <laughs> i mean you know it's uh it's really really way out there if it it's just really, really way out there. I wonder if an uncomfortable part of it too is well I mean he also said when people sometimes get the pedophile thing and go well sixteen uh, year old uh, slutty girls—that's that's different. No, he says. I'm not calling girls slutty. I'm just saying you know what I mean with that. He's talking about prepubescent boys. He said specifically, yes. right? Like so eight to 13. to clear that up. It's not underage girls we're talking about.
1: No, we're not talking about. And even then, like I want to be clear, it's still wrong. Of course, you know, yeah. adult men, sixteen, seventeen-year-old yes. girls. I'm so tired of hearing that justification. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was that you know, fifteen-year-old girl who Had already developed, and I have to tell you right now, it didn't make what happened to me any less assault. Yes. Like, but that it's was easier assault. to discount,
0: <laughs> it's easier to discount that group, and that's what you were saying before is uh, if it's complicated, and well, she probably was coming on to the youth minister anyway, you know, her like that makes it all way. I mean, a pre- young pre- women have bigger
2: hurdles yeah. to jump over just to prove that they've been abused. That that's really yeah. tough.
0: That's that's horrible in its own way and I would like to talk about that too. But yeah. but it's a very clear distinction with prepubescent boys. do you say you didn't touch them? Okay. Well how can you <laughs> how many
1: Well you know And the other disturbing fact is that he wasn't just volunteering like I come in on Sunday and I teach some children's church, right? Like he went on missions trips. He went on overnight trips. He coaches some sort of frisbee team in which he goes on overnight trips. Like he has overnight unsupervised trips with kids that he's attracted to. So again, it doesn't matter if he actually touched them. There are so many scenarios there that would have been completely inappropriate regardless of what happens. I mean, are these kids changing? Is he seeing them change? and have? I mean, there are so many levels of My, it doesn't matter if you can prove that there's a quote-unquote victim who was touched. This is still wrong.
0: But on the other side of that, we're not really confirming that he didn't ever do anything inappropriate with him Absolutely. either. That's very on the table here. If Jerry Sandusky had not been caught in the shower, he would be able to say the same thing. He would have had been able to have said the same thing. And, and- there's
1: no way that if an investigator investigated for like two weeks, And from what I understand, really only spoke to the staff, not to actual children or teens from the ministry. Right, right.
0: It hadn't been investigated yet.
1: And in two weeks, like, I'll be brutally honest, uh, when it first, so when I first disclosed that I had been assaulted in my church, the only reason I did it is because a newspaper article came out that said that my abuser had been arrested for abusing other girls. And I went down to the police station and disclosed that day. But here's the kicker. To everybody in my life, I still maintained that I went down there to tell a story about a time he tried something kind of funny with me, but don't worry, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. It took me literally decades to admit to anybody close to me in my life that he had actually assaulted me. Mm -hmm. In fact, Mm -hmm. it was only a year or two ago that my parents found out for the first time that he actually had assaulted me. So you cannot tell me that you can do a two-week investigation It's not as simple as like going up to kids and being like, hey, did he touch you? No. Okay, cool. Great. I totally, it does not work that way. It's going to take a long time if there were any victims for people to feel comfortable disclosing that kind of information, especially unraveling the fact that they like this person. He was their youth leader. They had relationships with him. He was fun. It's going to take time for some of them to even realize that maybe some of the things that happened were abusive. Mm -hmm. So there's no I, I, way to say conclusively right now, he's definitely not done anything wrong.
2: Right. I, I wanted to say, too, th- this is the problem that I have with the whole church system. I'm, people try to do the best they can. Uh, the, the father, he, he hears from his son that his son is attracted to children. I can understand. I'm a father. I have three kids and myself. I can understand not handling that the best way. I can understand being scared, worried for my own career, for my child. What does this mean? I don't want to expose them. Maybe he hasn't done anything wrong, all those things. But the problem here is that's why you have to have a better system, a reform system that helps you make those decisions. It seems like, one, it seems like the other people are almost worse and going, wait a minute. This is a dad trying to protect his son. We better do something here. Let's step in, try to handle this the best way we can. And, and it feels like the the leadership, the, maybe it's an elder system, I'm not sure what they have there at that church, but it feels like they let the church down the most because they just kind of swept it under the rug. Yep. They didn't even tell yep. anybody, and they let it continue, right? You're saying like, you could that, have more sympathy
0: for John Ortberg that father here than even the board, in a way. Right?
2: Well, I can under, I can yeah. totally understand him not handling it sure. right, yeah, not, like, saying right. right I'm course, not saying he's right by that. I'm not saying he's doing the right thing, but it's your son that you love. The same way as those I – bet, I, I bet you a lot of those kids love John Ortberg's son. Yeah. They yeah. think yeah. he's great. Wow, what yeah. a great youth pastor. and all that. I mean, I can understand your emotions and your care, but you have to have some real people to, to step in and keep people safe. Like, those people – how could they just let? Uh, hey, we're not going to disclose why he's getting a break, but it, the, John Ortberg's taking a, a leave of absence, and we'll just uh, let's just let us handle this. And then their answer is, well, you wouldn't understand because it's our family, and then you know family stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, hold on. I mean, you cannot expect people to come to your church and be devoted and trust the leadership all the way up top to bottom, and and the volunteers and everything, and then just just totally not give them the real story. Yes. But, like that is just so unfair.
1: May ruffle a lot of people's feathers, but out of everybody in this situation, I actually have the most sympathy for Johnny, believe it or not.
0: I think I agree with that.
1: Because I, I view Johnny much the way I view an addict. Okay. And so Johnny disclosed this to his parents. Johnny disclosed this to his sister Johnny disclosed closed this to these people that are close to him. And instead of saying, okay, we need to deal with this, those people enabled him. And so as much as I am not saying that I conclusively believe he hasn't hurt anybody, I am saying I can at least have some sympathy here for, it seems like he at least attempted to do the right thing a few times along the way here. The people I'm actually most angry at are John Ortberg and the board. Mm-hmm. are yeah. are nancy and laura his his mom and his sister like anybody that in knowingly enabled him to be around children that is actually who gets a majority of my ire and that same sentiment has been echoed by a number of family friends of the ortbergs who have stepped back and cut ties
0: yeah i'm a hundred percent with that i mean the problem
1: here is john senior like that the problem is
0: i, I agree that uh, i i mean my fundamental position wouldn't be one of outrage at this uh You know, pedophile And I hope he Should be tortured To death Like that I hate that mentality I think a pedophile Is a very, very sick person That first of all got sick somehow, which is probably... Right. Uh, and he
1: didn't choose this, right? Like He did not uh, choose right. to have these sort of invasive thoughts.
0: right? And, and, and but, I'm
1: not saying that justifies anything he may have done with it. If he does no. turn out to have child porn on that computer, I want him held fully accountable of course. for
0: that. But, th- but I think right. of somebody in the condition of pedophile, which is an unenviable condition that you can develop, but usually there's some road that gets you there that's not all your fault, first of all, which is probably worth right. thinking about here, too. Um, it's true. But even leaving that 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 aside when I think of a pedophile like that I feel very sorry for them and then I put them in a category of something like I would a dangerous animal like not that I I love lions but they stay behind glass or whatever it is I don't they would eat my children they would abuse my children so we will have to I can have sympathy on that creature um that has a that is the way it is, basically And I don't even mean that to sound callous But that's, I feel that that's more loving Than even being punitive I don't have a punitive desire yeah. for Johnny At all That is not the feeling that I have But the main feeling I have is Uh-oh uh, This pattern th- What what This this brick and the pattern um, Is the most by far disturbing thing for me I'll say that this church is big enough To barely And you will have Been there and you know, are from there And there's enough to where this can barely even get told And it's super extreme And then I know how many churches Are out there and I know how many people who have Had weird encounters or run-ins Or abused by youth ministers And I would go so far as to say I mean there's never any press on every 80 person Church or 200 200- person, there's just nothing The guy just leaves right. town, it happens all the yeah. time everywhere I don't know anybody Who doesn't know somebody who's abused by a youth minister I don't think Same. you can find any person in Christianity that doesn't personally know somebody or something went down with a youth minister. Do you Agreed. know any Christians who'd say, never heard of a th- I-, I don't know anybody who's ever been touched or weirded out or creeped out or something bad happened with a youth minister. I don't know a single Christian that fits that description. We, and then you zoom out a little bit more. We understand what the Catholic Church is like. And then all of a sudden, you put that into this context where you can barely get traction with this. And then just imagine you're a child attracted person with that sickness and that gravity toward children. Where the fuck do you think you're going to end up Hmm. if it's actual impunity for such things? I mean, uh,
1: that's part of why I think what's frustrating for me and for a lot of the survivor community is I'm sort of tired of churches feeling like until we have a smoking gun, like until we can say this guy over here touched that girl, so now we have a problem. Like that's Hmm. too late. (laughs) to deal with it, right? Mm -hmm. Like it shouldn't take that level. If you have problematic behavior, why is this sort of culture of reluctance of, well, I don't want to ruin any guy's life, or I don't want to, you know, uh, have that follow that accusation, follow him forever. I don't want to make weird assumptions about people. Like we tend to give them this weird benefit of the doubt of like, well, until you can show me for sure That something has actually "quote unquote" happened, and even then, oftentimes it's like, well, that's that one girl's. Yeah, what'd she do? You know, know. is there is there anybody else? Like, if there's more than one, then that even then. But the fact that we're not willing to deal with this before it gets to that point—that we don't feel empowered to say, like, hey, it doesn't matter if someone hasn't touched someone yet. If, if there's inappropriate behaviors going on, if there's unsafe practices happening in our youth ministry, it's already too far. <laughs> if you find out your youth pastor is texting privately with these girls, I don't care if he's raped anybody or not, that's already too far. We need to learn how to address it before it gets to, oh, now there's a victim, so we're allowed to do something.
0: I, I would push shift the burden so far to say, uh, uh, I mean, and this would just be a, you know, Re- very predictable Matt Carter uh, Absurd statement But I would say You say uh, Safe practices With youth ministry I-, I would almost say It's a fundamentally Unsafe practice Like uh, The burden should just Sit there for a few minutes hmm. Is youth ministry safe? As a practice? Period How- I mean wh- What bur- Like Why wouldn't the burden Start there? Can we Maybe just You had to prove Why it is okay That there are such things Period Period maybe like what's the science behind how beneficial it is versus what the tra- is there a converse is there a conversation to even have is it a safe thing to have a role of youth minister and and just make sure you feed i mean what would be the i can't think of the necessary protocols given what we're talking about here that it's even a reasonable practice and i, I know that's obnoxious but may, might i just sit there a second might it's you not just obnoxious. let that sit in your head for a minute
1: not obnoxious, I'll give you one that I've never said anywhere else, but I feel like I can say it after you said (laughs) that is, I find it interesting that the overwhelming majority of youth ministers are men, right? There's this idea of like, guys won't be able to relate or hear certain topics or talk about certain issues. If it's a female youth minister, girls are just supposed to, you know, that's okay. It's fine. Guys are like neutral, right? Like they Mm -hmm. can hear it from men, but men won't relate or they'll feel uncomfortable if they're hearing it from women. The reality is whether we want to talk about it or not, the majority of these offenders are men. Mm -hmm. And yet the majority of youth ministers are men. men. I find it very strange that we don't see more churches moving towards, I don't know, maybe we should be seeking out more <laughs> women in these roles,
3: Yeah, uh, just yeah, as like a yeah.
1: baseline safety procedure. And again, I know I'm going to get all kinds of emails from the not all men folks, but this is just, this is just statistical fact. And why is it that as a girl, I was expected to hear about topics like sex and saving sex for marriage and don't masturbate I think, from men? And it was considered like, well, guys are neutral. Girls can hear it from men. But as soon as you suggest that you have a women youth minister, there are parents up in arms like, well, the boys won't be able to sit through topics like that if it's coming from yeah. a woman. Like, I don't understand the double standard there at all, but it's putting our girls more at risk. That's for sure.
2: That is I, I think that that's totally 100% stems from the people saying that women can't be ministers or, or pastors or. Pastoral oh, but let's be roles. clear. Like that, you know what I mean. They can
1: be the children's minister.
2: But somehow you get up to the
1: high school youth group and now all of a sudden these boys are treated as men and suddenly the kids that I was allowed to teach before because they're little, I'm not allowed to have any authority over anymore because... They,
0: they wouldn't respect key- you anyway. Like, you know how boys are. Like which coaches like, are men into that? Once they come to sexual so, maturity,
1: yeah. apparently now they just preempt me in the hierarchy of the church, yeah. no matter how old I am. Like, it's completely ridiculous.
0: That's part of the the excusing men behavior. And I mean, I'm not a man hater. I, I you know I I like to defend masculinity personally. And 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 there's a some sense in which, on grounds of of being pro masculinity. I reject a lot of the youth minister types because I find them submasculine in a sense. I know that's I'm just being very stereotypical, but I find them well. I'm not going to be able to really hang, but I can control children. Like there's an element mm. there to me, and that's completely personal and anecdotal. I know, but it's it's. And then that caters still to the whole thing where, well, you know, boys will be boys, and you just—it's an excusatory culture all the all the way through. Like, if if you're a youth minister, you have to—it's a weird—it's just a weird role. I mean, you just—it's just, it's just a, one of those weird roles in society. Like, what do you care about the gospel and teaching people Jesus? Okay. Well, I don't want to be a preacher. You can't handle the adults, so you can. The kids are easy. Kids are just easy to control, and you feel good. I mean, that's what. I mean, that's a big problem in our society is kids are easy to control. So who is it that wants to control them? Teachers, youth pastors. I mean that, and and that's going to always be mixed in because it's possible to do, and there's. So I don't, you know And, and then the, it, the systems That are soft on it the, the, These I'm saying I'm sound like A macho asshole I'm just saying They're softer people And then the systems Are soft And I don't mean soft In a bad way I don't know another way To say it But those are my Internal feelings When they come out
2: On the matter Also it almost always Feels like uh, youth pastors it's just they they get into that to be a stepping stone to get to be lead pastor. So they're working out yeah their one material of the two one of the on two. The, you know they're, they're yep. working out their yep. material on the young kids because they know they can get away with it. Right, and figuring out stuff you know on the on the, the, the children, and then that way they get to be a stepping stone to the next thing. And it and it's frustrating. I think you're really making a good point here. I, maybe even more than just men. Why are we so certain that youth ministry is good for kids? <laughs> I, like you made that point. Like, like seriously. Like I, I'm being really serious. I agree. Said when you said that, I know I me personally I wouldn't put my kids I, anywhere
0: I, near I, youth ministry. Are you crazy? I, I know. Like, I have
2: I, I have several stories of youth pastors doing really bad stuff.
0: Uh, yeah, I would never really send my kids to Sunday. I mean Sunday school, maybe, but that's confusing. Maybe sometimes intellectually, it's the same thing. It's the, the lowest people that don't really have understanding of the biggest things down talking to children. And then you get to right. the youth ministry and it's even worse. So and I wouldn't send my kids to, in, to Sunday school or youth ministry no. ever at this point. There's no yeah. way I would risk such risky but, behavior. It seems outrageously risky to me. I think it's worth
1: circling back to that same point that I had to sit through years of hearing that you know trans people were going to attack me in the Target dressing room, <laughs> right? Right. And yet I used to point out as a survivor, like statistically, if you're willing to send your child to a youth group lock-in, like overnight event.
0: Don't do it. Yeah. And um. yet
1: you're screaming about how unsafe the target dressing rooms are. Yeah. Like, uh, boy, do I have some statistics to show you. Mm-hmm. So right. this idea of like, I heard people constantly try to play down transphobia as like, well, I'm actually not transphobic it's just a safety issue like statistically and it was like no you don't get to stand on that and then also turn around and be like it's totally cool to send my kids to overnight youth group events when sorry to tell you statistically they're way more likely to get abused there than in the target dressing room y'all
0: yeah right i'm I'm skeptical and, and then, all the way down personally but uh, i can't I help it i didn't start that way i arrived here so somehow you know i mean <laughs> I, i'm not Try, I don't have an axe to grind. I, I don't know if people think of it that way. It's just my logic over time and the evidence and the cultural evidence seems to continually point this direction. So I don't know how you can't. I mean, you 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 know you can feel that resistance. Well, not all church. Well, churches do a lot of good. To, how does that fit in this conversation? Churches do a lot of good, you know, Stephanie. Don't you know that? Right.
2: <laughs> I mean, right. But th- that's the biggest, the worst part about all of this is because of the system of church, the way it's set up, and that you could lose so much if you tell the truth <laughs> or step out, mm-hmm. just like your own story, Stephanie, right? Like it, it, it means that the church almost has to side with the bad person so they can save the church.
1: I think right? that's or, important, or, right? Because if I right. felt that much pressure as the person who was actually assaulted to not ruffle too many feathers— because I was afraid I was going to lose everybody. You had that responsibility. Initially, I was afraid that nobody would believe me, which was a very valid concern. Uh, But beyond that, it became an issue of preserving silence to keep my my social life intact, to keep my family and friends intact, right? If I felt that pressure as the person who was actually assaulted, I can kind of understand why so many people in a church like Menlo don't want to deal with this right to, now, yeah. right? right? Because they can right. hide behind, well, it's not like there are any actual victims, the victimless crime, nothing happened. So uh, uh, I don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. It becomes even right. easier to give yourself that plausible deniability that out of like, well, whoo, we dodged a bullet, nothing happened. He learned his lesson. I don't want to risk everything when there's not sort of a reason on the other side. Mm -hmm. I can absolutely see why they'd feel that way. It doesn't make it any less wrong, which is why I'm being so vocal, because I think if there's not some sort of public pressure or outcry, we have seen this pattern in enough churches to know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. If enough people get upset, if the media shines a light on it, if there's outcry on Twitter and hashtags and demanding that he resign, something might happen. But if he gets his way and this story sort of potters out over the next couple of months, I can tell you right now, nothing will happen. He'll do another "quote-unquote" restoration plan. He'll sit in front of a town hall and answer some questions to a few parishioners. Yeah. A bunch of people might leave, but that'll be that, and they'll move on like it never happened.
0: Hey, yeah, and then they'll have a tighter wagon circle. That's that's the cult thing: is you take you, even if you run off half the people, so what? We got a more dedicated le- the, who's left is even more galvanized, and right. you know that's part of the big numbers well, think- game. You know? Menlo
1: is a good example that it doesn't have to be this out and out cult story, right? Mm-hmm. Like they don't have to stand up and say, we will shun you if you, it doesn't usually look like that. It is way more subtle. It is way more manipulative. It is way more gaslighty. It's to the point where even as a victim, I spent years looking back going, did I just assume that about people? Did I misinterpret? Was that just sort of all in my head? Nobody ever really said outright X, Y, Z. Maybe I imagined it. In a place like Menlo, you are not going to have some clear-cut person that comes forward and says, I was told all my friends would ditch me if I didn't you know, support John Ortberg. It's not going to be that overt. But that doesn't change the fact that that is absolutely the messaging in the culture there. That if you step out of line... You may lose all the people that you hold dear. And so mm-hmm. that's absolutely going to pressure this culture of silence to continue, especially when they don't have a clear-cut victim that makes them feel like they have no choice but to do something. Mm-hmm.
0: That's, I think that's exactly right. Was there a time in your story when you said you went to the police station and disclosed where you didn't disclose it and then you told other people a different story uh, from that? Was there a time even before that where it wasn't even clear in your mind what the story was or you believed that half-truth? Or was it clear to you the whole time? Because I think sometimes it's hard for us to even understand when we have been abused. Like we, Even in our own selves, we want to tell the half-truth is what I'm saying. There's there's an internal pressure to justify even abuse against yourself and not
2: Which see it clearly. keeps you from
1: revealing that the truth. That is a often. totally valid question, and that's something that happens to a lot of survivors. In my case... Uh, it was a very overt assault, wow. not a subtle grooming issue. I was sleeping over at friends a friend's house from church with his daughters. Uh and I went upstairs to go to the bathroom and their dad came up and assaulted me. Um wow. with wow. them downstairs, fully awake.
0: And how old and were you and then oh, it was I'm 15. So and and even that wasn't even with that clear of a violation, it still wasn't um easy enough. There wasn't enough. There hadn't been enough conversation, facility. Or there was a breakdown somewhere where you felt that it be best to not say anything about that.
1: I literally went back downstairs, did not say a word to his daughters, and we watched a James Bond movie. And wow. when that movie wow. ended, I was so terrified of going back upstairs that I asked to watch another one. Mm. And then another one. And then another one, and we turned it into basically an all night marathon because my body was so tense that I thought if we walked away, there was just too high a probability that he would assault me again. And I said nothing to them. And I packed up my stuff in the morning and I went home. I said nothing to my parents. and I knew exactly what had happened, but I also grew up in a purity culture that had me convinced that I was now completely damaged goods and nobody was ever going to want me because I wasn't a virgin. And more than that, I came from a complex background already. I'm I'm an adoptee. I come from a trauma background with some abuse there before I was adopted. And I definitely had my fair share of acting out through the years. And so there was this added layer of, I was not what the church would consider a believable victim, right? I knew there was going to be a level of, she's very dramatic. She has a tendency to draw attention to herself. Maybe she's making this up. Like maybe she instigated this. And he was well liked and was always with people's kids. When we would go to family camp with the church, he was the guy that told all the jokes and all the teens and you loved him and wanted to be around him all the time. And so there was this sort of tension there of, I knew for sure what had happened to me, but without a witness and with the added fact that who was going to believe, right. That I had just walked back downstairs and not said a word. Who would believe that I didn't call my parents and ask to be picked up? Who would possibly believe that his daughters who knew me for years could sit next to me and not know? Who would believe that I wouldn't have screamed for help? You you tell yourself this story of, you know, that's not how a good victim behaves. No one's going to believe you. And so I kept my mouth shut for a very long time. And unfortunately, the first person that I did attempt to semi-disclose to from the church after I went to the police, because I felt like they deserved to know that this was not an isolated incident with the two victims everybody knew about uh, who were sisters. And so I didn't want it to sound like this is just some weird thing between their families. Um, I was essentially told by this gentleman that, well, if the police were already dealing with it, like, what was the point of you coming forward? Good Lord. Because he's already being stopped. Like, it just seems vindictive now. Like, you just he's want more time added or, like, you're just trying to destroy his family's life. Or maybe you just want to, like, get in on the spotlight here and get some attention out right. of it. Like, you need to look at your heart because you're not forgiving him or, like, you're trying to destroy his family's life. Or... And so I got the message pretty quickly that, okay, if that's the first person I attempted to disclose to... This is not safe, and I'm going to shut that right back up. And I'm not going to tell a soul.
0: Did your abuser right. see justice? Uh, and did was it? Did it come out what the, that, that how many victims there were or anything like that?
1: So it's complex because there were. I know personally that there were other victims uh, whose families pressured them to not come forward mm-hmm. uh, and who kept it quiet. But because I went down to the police station and added my account, uh. He had been intending to go to trial and I added my account. And so suddenly it wasn't just the story of these two girls who were going through their own family situation, who were emotional and, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't play it as like, they don't really understand what happened. There was another person to corroborate it. And uh, he took a plea deal and he did go to jail. And actually uh, he got very sick in jail. He was released on compassionate release at one point and uh, he is dead now. Mm-hmm. so uh I also don't know how to answer that question though because was there justice I don't know I mean yeah.
0: no way <laughs> it, not,
1: it, really. it's that's that's a complex question to answer from the survivor point of view did he go to jail yes but I don't think he ever really fully had to account for how yeah. bad the situation really was or how many girls he hurt because it was a lot more than just the three of us you' think and so. I live with that every single day I wonder mm-hmm. every single day if I had Called my parents that night, right mm-hmm. then, and said, "This just happened. Bruce just did this thing. Would he have ever touched another girl? I don't know. Yeah,
0: that's. I don't know. I'm so sorry to hear that. I mean, that I know. even I mean that too. alone, that one piece alone, to be aware, to have that awareness starting at 15 as a part of your day, is un. I mean, just that alone it is a pretty much unthinkable outcome for a developing person. <laughs> well,
2: I, I think you know this, Stephanie. I mean, you did what you could to survive, and that—that yep. that is the truth. So you—you you didn't. It's not right or wrong decisions. You're just trying to stay alive and figure it, th- this horrific thing out. So, uh, I mean, I understand that that you live with that daily. But I hope you know that you did what the best you could, and that is the truth. And so that I mean, it's something so unfair, so horrible that uh, you had no clue was coming and all of a sudden you're living with it and watching a James Bond movie or whatever. You don't, there's no right answers for that. I think that, that, stories uh, that, like
1: yeah. mine are important because the fact that I'm not a quote unquote believable victim or wasn't at the time, that's not, I'm not an outlier. No. Like these abusers right. are smart. Yeah. The fact that I came from a traumatized background, the fact that I had these other red flags, that's exactly what made me a vulnerable target. So yeah churches are really going and just society in general is going to have to come to terms with this idea of every time we take a woman's sexual assault story and we rip it apart and we go, well, she told a different story this day, or I heard that she was promiscuous or this, or that, and we start to unravel all of that stuff. Those are not signs that she's probably lying. If anything, those are usually indicators that she is a prime target. I used to right. sit and wonder like, why have I experienced multiple repeated issues of abuse, right? Like is there something wrong with me? Am I bringing this on myself? And it wasn't until therapy as an adult, like licensed trauma specific therapy that I learned, that's not a coincidence, that's common. Yeah. People that are abused early in their childhood often are repeatedly abused and assaulted because yeah, you you end up having certain Personality traits that develop as survival mechanisms that are giant red flags to other abusers of, hey, guess what? People are not going to believe this person, so have at it. We're going to have to learn that this narrative of the good victim is garbage. If anything, those are the outliers. It happens, but it's far more common Mm -hmm. that you're going to have these women who told a different story or whose story has changed over the years or who otherwise just don't look that believable. Mm -hmm.
0: I think that they you could imagine if you were a bad guy and you knew you you were looking for a target, the main thing you'd select for is disposition to, like you said, not be believed, but even more so to be too timid to speak. You yep. know when you can see that I was in the grocery store with my daughter when she was two, and uh I was around the corner slightly, and a guy reached over and grabbed the cart and pulled it toward me so that my kid wouldn't be out of my sight because he thought that might be upsetting to the two year old and and when he he was just trying to help me you know, and when he put his hand in the cart and started to pull it, she said, "Get your hand out of my cart." <laughs> she said, "Don't you touch that?" and I said, "That's it, there you go like that you know All like right. <laughs> it, that's as that that as opposed to teach well do whatever adults say you should listen to, you need to be polite to adults regardless of whatever, you know like that cultivating that, you know timid kids that are afraid to talk to adults or push back or say what they think, uh, you know is is cultivated on purpose I sometimes by parents.
1: Think this is why the story with Menlo is so specifically upsetting to me, and what people need to understand is if you don't deal with this appropriately, if he is not forced to resign, if the board members who knew this whole story the whole time and downplayed it to the church are not forced to resign, you have announced to every predator Mm
3: -hmm. that your
1: church is a fertile hunting ground. Yeah. It doesn't matter that you have safety mechanisms in place. And that's what they, you know, they're going to come out and they're going to be like, look, we have all these things. You have to do a background check or, hey, guess what? If you had done a background check on Bruce, it would not have told you that he was <laughs> yeah. raping teenage girls. Right. Okay. Yeah, so if you have background name tags checks, and IDs so and buzzers,
0: though, if you have the, right. the pagers, that that should do it.
1: But yeah. if you <laughs> announce, I mean, this is announcing to predators, this is fertile hunting ground mm-hmm. for you because- At the end of the day, as long as you are very careful about how you do this, we are going to circle the wagons to protect our image more than we're going to protect these children. And that is not something you want to announce to predators because they are absolutely looking.
0: Yeah. No doubt about it.
1: Stupid. They're not out there like, this is why I get so annoyed at all those stories of like, somebody was staring at my kid at Target. Oh my God, it was sex trafficking. Like That's not how that works, you guys. They're not just out there grabbing some random white kid out of a cart in Target. They're smart. They're looking for victims that are not going to be believed. They're looking for places where a culture of silence is going to be encouraged. And you want to know why we have such a big problem of abuse in churches? That's why. Because you want to talk about a culture that's primed to silence victims. Man, white evangelical churches have all the earmarks. Yeah. You take purity culture, you take group think, you take the need to not push back against the people around you. Yeah. That's just prime ground for silencing victims.
0: Right. The uh another challenge for a listener to this, even though I don't think it's very challenging, I think it's pretty clear and easy to to look at, but I would challenge the listener to say, wow, not say, wow, what an egregious case that Ortberg guy is. That is more of the standard case. This is more of the... I'll put it this way. This isn't the standard case. This one's wild, but it is the standard dynamic, uh, and it's not even about church. It is, yes. It's in church, but if you just look at the Penn State scandal... Same Joe Paterno, he's the best. I couldn't, right. you know, motivated reasoning to not have to be uncomfortable. And from his motivation to the alumni to the general public, all their motivations are very similar. And this is a human. You see, it in the Catholic Church, whatever, but it's 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 a human group dynamic that exists. So it's not just churches are bad. That's not even the point here. And it's not that something this extreme is happening at every single church, but this dynamics exist yes at every single church. Every Your church and any group possess these dynamics to some degree, to some whatever. And chances are you're probably on the under aware side with your own bias. Right. You're any, no matter who you are, your bias, if it has to be somewhere, is probably not tuned right to the middle. You you may, you know, some people maybe have their ears pinned back looking for abuse all the time, but most people aren't sitting neutral. They're sitting with the bias to not want to think that about. Their church, and I don't think it's this about your church, but these are the dynamics they it's always happen. A lot
1: more pervasive than people want to admit. Yep. I've been regularly attended at five churches in my life. Three of them have had some sort of sexual abuse issue come out mm-hmm. three out of the five, yes. and I'm not saying the other two are immune. I'm just saying three had it be very public,
0: schools, churches, all of it. Though
1: outlier like this is ridiculously common. And I think that's why it's so important to center a really diverse group of survivor stories for exactly what you said. It's too easy when we have the same narrative over and over and over again of bad pastor just randomly attacks virtuous woman. People are looking for that. Mm -hmm. And when it doesn't fit that narrative, they're like, this is not what I know about church sex abuse. This doesn't seem very believable. We need a diversity of stories that show that it doesn't always happen the same way. You're not going to be able to look at a guy and be like, he seems skeevy. If it works that way, he wouldn't be able to find all of these victims. We right. need to learn that there is no pattern that you can point to and say, that guy is going to be a rapist. Mm-hmm. It's a pervasive cultural problem that nobody is immune to, least of all churches.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's just a flip side of the—I mean, I think of all authority systems— where there's where authority is counted on for it to I think of it as necessary evil Is the way I look at it I mean, for, for, It doesn't matter if it's a cop or a politicians Or the school or the church or whatever it's a, it's, we, I, I think we need all those things I'm a supporter of those things They need to be healthy But I do consider all non-explanatory Where you have to accept an authority Because it's the authority This is the dark side of that Mm-hmm. Uh, th- they are necessary evils I'm not saying everybody's in authority is evil Or is bad to have power But the dark side of it always exists And this is part of, of what it is The authority isn't necessary It's unfortunate that we have to worship Have a one pastor that is actually the best But he is the best And he, we have to look up to him And well we do need cops Yeah we do We need them Necessary evils That doesn't I mean they're individually evil But to have to just put a blind trust in X or not be able to push back on why that's a that's 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 a unfortunate if we could not have it and everything was explanatory and participatory and everything then we would so every time you have put somebody in authority you've got to work harder at the flip side of of what the negative impacts are in every system
1: and that's why if i could give people anything to walk away with i mean a it would be use your voice because if you don't get this story out there he's going to bury this and walk away. But B, it would really be if you're looking for a way to make your church safer, it's not pagers, it's not background checks, it's not whatever. It goes so much deeper to much bigger pervasive cultural issues about the kind of theology you're teaching, right? Like if it is unyielding submission to authority, if Mm -hmm. it is, this is true because we told you, if it is, you know, this very thick purity culture mantle of, you know, the right kind of victim. These are the things that actually make your church more dangerous. So yes, I'm a big supporter of you need background checks, you need safe child policies in place, but please do not think that those are going to single-handedly protect you. If you have a culture of misogyny, if you have a culture of silence, if you have a culture of unyielding submission and unquestioning, no amount of pagers or safe child right. practices are going to protect you. That's
0: the TSA. I don't do nothing. I mean, that. that's yeah, not. Yeah, it's security feeder. How, yeah, right. It is
1: security yeah. feeder. Yeah, like that, I said, if you had yeah. done a background check on Bruce, it wasn't going to help you at all because right. he just hadn't been caught yet. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. 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 Well, Stephanie, thank you for sharing this Uh coming from your voice it's a lot better than than mine <laughs> but and you understand yeah. it really well too but i think this conversation it, it feels really i don't know it feels good to me to be able to say i don't i'm not intending to ju- re- even say something bad about john senior junior or the third or whatever it is it's that really the dynamics here and the shocking amount of willful blindness to it that i i don't want to say i'm appalled by but i'm just i guess i'm in a curious stage of it i don't even i'm i'm really shocked so i'm happy to be able to tell a few more people and i don't think of this as related to cancel culture or something i guess you could say that but that, this and that's really not not the issue i don't care about that guy if he's a pastor or teaches the bible or not or makes money i don't care about any of that this is just you know an important di- dynamic
2: that we like yeah, to Yeah i kind of just feel exhausted from it i feel like there's just too many stories and there's going to be more And I mean, I I was just reading again, the church I used to work at, the pastor committed suicide. There's more, there's so much pastor suicide. There's so much hiddenness within the pastoral role. And then people who are actually being abused or assaulted don't have an avenue to get real healing, restoration, I mean, the pastor goes through restoration process. What about somebody like Stephanie that just has to live through it? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, you might do your own personal one. I'm yeah, sure pastor gets all the you, resources. You still live with it. but I mean, <laughs> but the, but the idea of the yeah, the, where are the resources going, and what are we doing and, to him? What about what about victims and the people? Like, what what are we trying to save our our building and our system and our church, or what 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 about the people we're called to? I mean, what, where's Jesus in all this? I mean. That, that that's the thing, right? Like, I mean, you, you can't stand before Jesus and say, "Yeah, I'm glad I protected my church, so we could keep a thousand, five five thousand people there, or whatever it might be." So maybe that anyway, church Stephanie- can
0: g- gain their control. Could they just say no? I mean, is, does the church have an ability here to not lose everything? Could they just take control here? Is there is there a can the,
1: absolutely? There's absolutely no reason why they can't start with asking him to resign. Okay. It's not like yeah. they don't have another pastoral staff. There are other teaching pastors on staff. It's not just this one guy who does every job at the church, okay? So they wouldn't just shut down the next day. And if they would shut down the next day, that's not a church. That's like celebrity, you know. Right. If your church is right. entirely dependent on your celebrity pastor, you're not worth saving. Let me put it yeah. that way. Right. But they're not So they could absolutely ask him to resign. They could absolutely ask the current elder board members to resign and start over. And they could absolutely bring in an outside, truly independent organization. There's a great one called Grace that works specifically with this sort of thing, that could do a truly independent investigation, that could give them a framework of suggestions and say, here's your blind spots, here's what you need to address, here's a plan to actually move forward. There's no reason why they can't.
0: Yeah. I was a all. part of a church where mm. I had all the best relationships of my life and was around the smartest, most talented people that i ever had been and having very good positive effects in my life. And w- the power and the that whole thing, just the same, the power, like in Lord of the Rings, whatever, just the ring, just whatever that is that corrupts, uh, we didn't handle it. We just let it keep going, and we lost it all. It all went away. didn't have to, though. It just didn't have to. But it did because we because of that yeah so they have an opportunity here i would say that like i'm not anti this church and those stupid conservative i mean that's not my point of view my point no, want, messages. is this, this is, is your safe, church take it right now and, fix it yeah
2: it's yours real, uh, a better system a better process and all that stuff stephanie thank you so much for for joining us today uh folks can find you at stephanie TateWrights.com and, yeah. uh, and Tate where, is T
1: A I T, not T A T E. You can blame my Canadian husband for that one. <laughs> and so,
2: and your book is called The View from Rock Bottom. And yep. uh, and it goes into more detail uh, in, about uh, all the, a lot of the stuff that you've lived through and stuff that we didn't even get into today with your disability and stuff. So, uh, folks, check that out for sure. Stephanie, we really appreciate you. Just, man. So much information. Matt's right. I'm so glad you came here and explained all this and said it way better than we ever could. So we really do appreciate your time.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd love to have you back to cover other issues in the surrounding area, abuse and not, but just, you know, we, we're in the same somewhat same space of post, I don't know, how, how do you think of, do you think of this whole thing as a space, a post-evangelical, ex-evangelical, post-Christian zone? Is that a zone?
1: Do you mean your podcast or Our do you po- mean this conversation? <laughs> no,
0: I just mean in the broader sense. I mean, I, you, you know, there's a lot of, I, I'm surprised, and especially I've connected to it through Dan's work, that there are people really paying attention to this emergent. Space, I think, of of the I don't I'm not calling it the collapse of evangelical, but the, just a bunch of big movement here um, in this space. There's lots of things to pay attention to, and I think it will increase in. I and don't there's disagree. a lot of lessons for the lar- the next c- level of culture up in politics. Like these are yeah. these are the emergent playbooks and dynamics that I keep seeing spilling into the mainstream, and I've seen them b- all before. Yeah. So I think it's an important But sp- I don't know, but do you have a do you have a, a term or name for this whole the space that that you could say that, that both the Bad Christian po- Podcast and you occupy and Dan Coke? What is that world to you? Yeah,
1: that's a really tough one. Like I tried to do the whole evangelical movement for a while, uh-huh. and it just I didn't. It didn't click with me. It didn't. I don't know. Like there were components of trauma bonding there, but that's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've heard a lot of people talk about progressive Christian faith and and sometimes that resonates with me, sometimes not. A lot of talk about, you know, deconstruction spaces. You see, mm-hmm. you know, spaces like the liturgists and, and you guys and, and Dan's podcast is a great example of that. But I don't know if I've actually found a term that really resonates with me the way that evangelicals rally behind that term. uh, Right now, it feels very spiritually homeless at times.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh,
1: Because I know I'm not that culture anymore, but it's really difficult to to define whatever the heck I am right now.
0: (laughs) Well, I consider your work a a wing of the same same cultural space that that we inhabit. You may not claim such association, but I think of the the broader thing in that sense. I appreciate very much you spending time with us today.
1: Thanks for having me. A silver screen Lost me
3: a stack of numbers Everything.